within the culture of this generation that we live in today, we as Americans have come to strongly assume that we have the power and the ability to make choices about most anything that we think or say or do. We have choices. And further, that our power and our ability to make those choices, those choices that please us, are never to be denied us. And in some ways, in some ways, that may be a correct assumption. But there is a difficulty that will surely always accompany the choices that you and I make, and that is consequences. The reality is that for every choice that we make, there are consequences. And those consequences will always flow along after each of those choices. Now, why is that so? Why is that so? It's because God, being absolutely sovereign and omniscient, He knows all things. He knows things past, things present, and things future. And He has established some very simple but absolute rules of law that will govern any and all of those choices that we make. One of those rules being simply that each of us will surely reap whatever we choose to sow. Listen to these words. This is Galatians chapter 6. He tells us there, Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever we sow, that we shall also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. Now those words, folks, those words are absolute truth. There are consequences. And those consequences really are sure and certain. With the only possible exception being those occasions when we've made some wrong choices and we humble ourselves before God and we repent and we beg for His leniency. And then sometimes, sometimes, He might relent and our consequences be mitigated. Here in the words of the passage that we'll study today, the Lord Jesus has just given 70 of His disciples these instructions about how they were to minister as they traveled throughout the towns and the countrysides. And along with those instructions, He's giving them some simple words of reality. The reality that while, yes, some people that they'll encounter will respond well and they'll receive the ministry joyfully. But others would not. Others would not. Though those disciples were going out to give their very best, some of those people, perhaps many, would reject their words and their efforts. Listen to these words. This is Luke chapter 10, beginning in verse 10. Lord Jesus said to those disciples, Whatever city you enter and they do not receive you, go out into the streets and say, The very dust of your city which clings to us we wipe off against you. Nevertheless, know this, that the kingdom of God has come near you. But I say to you that it will be more tolerable in that day. Now, it's the judgment day. I say to you that it will be more tolerable in that day for Sodom than for that city. Woe to you, Chorazin. Woe to you, Bethsaida. For if the mighty works which were done in you had been done in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago sitting in sackcloth and ashes. 
But it will be more tolerable for Tyre and Sidon at the judgment than for you. And you, Capernaum, who are exalted to heaven, will be brought down to Hades. He who hears you, Lord Jesus is saying this to the disciples, he who hears you, hears me. He who rejects you, rejects me. And he who rejects me, rejects the one who sent me. Over in Romans chapter 11, verse 22, we're told there to consider both the kindness and the sternness of God. Both the kindness and the sternness of God. And here we're seeing an excellent demonstration of both. The gospel that can save the people's soul is being presented to them. But they're also being confronted with a warning about the consequences if they reject that gospel. Folks, as we well know, this man Jesus, who's giving these instructions to his disciples, he was no ordinary man. Jesus is the God of all creation, of heaven and earth. And his instructions have accountability within them. In Exodus chapter 34, God gives us a very clear and plain portrayal of who he is. In those words, we're able to clearly see the holy and the righteous character by which he governs this world and all the people within it. Listen to these words. This is Exodus chapter 34, beginning in verse 6. The Lord, the Lord God, merciful and gracious, long-suffering and abounding in goodness and truth, keeping mercy for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgressions and sin, but by no means, listen, but by no means clearing the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children and the children's children to the third and the fourth generation. In those words, God declares to us that he is first and foremost loving, merciful, and gracious, not desiring that any should perish, but just as equally, just as equally, he is also just. In today's evangelical circles, most preachers preach that God is a God of love and a God of love only. And they leave out this part that we just read about. As we've read here, God is just as equally just. He's requiring that every sin that's committed be dealt with and paid for fully and completely. The first part of the heart and the character of God is revealed to us most clearly in the person of the Lord Jesus. He does not want any to perish. And so he came to live among us for a while, then to die there on the cross on our behalf, to pay our penalty for our sin, then to rise again, that we might have a newness of life, a life that's free from the power and the control of sin. And then to be with him and have eternal life with him in heaven. And yes, Jesus will later, at that great white throne judgment, fulfill this second part of the character of God. And he'll hold people accountable for their sins. But during his days here on this earth, his desire was to fulfill the first part of God's plan and purpose. And that is mercy and grace. And Jesus was carrying that plan on forward as he sent out those 70 evangelists to proclaim the gospel of his salvation to the people in those towns and villages where Jesus would then later be visiting. Those disciples were the representation of the kingdom of God 
coming near to the people to tell them about the great privilege of receiving salvation for their sins. But also implicit within the precious offer of God's love and salvation is a warning. It's a stern and it's a serious warning. And that warning declares, woe be unto any person who refuses to receive the great salvation that God offers to them. Listen to these words again, verse 10 of Luke chapter 10. But whatever city you enter and they do not receive you, go out into the streets and say, the very dust of your city, which clings to me, I wipe off against you. Nevertheless, listen, nevertheless know this, that the kingdom of God has come near you. And I say to you that it will be more tolerable in that day, in the judgment day, for Sodom than for that city. Then in verse 16, he says these words again. He says to his disciples, He who hears you, they hear me. He who rejects you, they reject me. And he who rejects me, rejects him who sent me. Now, sometimes, perhaps often, we aren't aware that the kingdom of God has come near to us. Yes, God truly is everywhere at every moment, and He always is. But there are also very special moments in time, very special moments in time when God's Holy Spirit pays a special visit to our souls, bringing with Him a special unction that appeals to our souls to come and follow Him. And in those moments, folks, listen, God really does hold us accountable for our response. And those special moments are almost always presented to us by other people. And yes, the Holy Spirit is present within their words, but the voices that you and I will hear and the faces that you and I will see are almost always people. People, disciples like these 70 that went out from the Lord Jesus. But with us today, it's most often preachers, it's teachers, other ordinary people, People like you and me, someone across the dining room table, someone riding with you in the car. And if we, if you and I are the disciples that are chosen to give God's invitation to salvation to someone, you and I really need to be faithful to make that gospel clear and plain because the listener will surely be held accountable for their response to our invitation. Matthew Henry, one of my favorite Bible commentators, words it this way. He says that when we give that witness to tell them plainly, bid them to be sure of it, that the kingdom of God has come near to them. Say to them, here is a fair offer made to you. If you have not the benefit of it, it's your own fault. The gospel is brought to your door. If you shut that door against it, your blood is upon your own head. Now that the kingdom of God has come near to you, if you will not come up to it and come into it, your sin will be inexcusable and your condemnation will be intolerable. Those are stern words. Stern words. And those words Matthew Henry is making, those stern requirements of the gospel so very clear to us. We need to receive this gospel that will bring us salvation. That person needs to receive that gospel that will bring them salvation. But to refuse it will bring a sure and certain 
condemnation. There's no middle ground. No middle ground. Verse 16. Again, let me read these words again. He who hears you, that's you and me, ministering, witnessing to another person across that lunch table or on that telephone. He who hears you, hears me, Jesus says. He who rejects you, rejects me. He who rejects me, rejects him who sent me. There in Matthew Henry's words, he spoke about the blood being upon the head of anyone who is disobedient to God's word. And that's so. Whether it be the giver, you and I need to make those words clear. Or it be the one that we're speaking to, the receiver of those words. Listen to how the Lord words it in Ezekiel chapter 3. He says, Hear the word I speak and give them warning from me. When I say to a wicked man, you shall surely die, and you do not warn him, or speak out to dissuade him from his evil ways in order to save his life. That wicked man will die for his sin, and I will hold you accountable for his blood. But if you do warn that wicked man, and he does not turn from his wickedness or from his evil ways, he will die in his sin, but you will have saved yourself. As disciples of the Lord Jesus, you and I, really do have an obligation to go out and to give his saving gospel to others. But in doing that, we need to always remain aware that it's not just us who is giving those words. We cannot save people. And it won't be the cleverness of some words that we might think up. No, folks, listen, it is ever and always only the blood of Christ that's able to save a person. Our responsibility, our responsibility is to simply give the gospel as clearly and as plainly as we can give it. And then we're to leave the response to the people who hear it. Fortunately, some of those who we speak to will receive the gospel with great joy and they'll be saved. But folks, others, as you well know, they'll refuse to listen. Their eyes will glaze over. They'll reject our message of the gospel. And as Jesus said there a moment ago, when they reject the words that you and I say, they are rejecting him. As for these disciples who were sent out by Jesus, in giving the gospel message in the way that God commanded, they were doing all that was being asked of them. Yes, they would mourn and grieve the rejections that they had received. But their task was finished. That's what he's telling us here in these words. And to those who rejected their message, Jesus ordered these disciples to do as he had ordered the first apostles that had gone out some weeks ahead of them to say to them, and not with rage or scorn or resentment or with anger of any kind, but with compassion for their poor and perishing souls, to say to them, the dust of your city... We do wipe off against you. And then they were to go on to the next town and to the next people. And you and I are to do that. We are then to go on to the next people. But know here also that a subtle but absolute instruction is also being given to those 70 messengers of the gospel. The instruction is to only go where they are sent. Only go where they are sent. 
Messengers of God must always be faithful to listen carefully and to go only to those places and to those people that God intends to hear his message. Otherwise, their efforts will be in vain. But why would that be so? We would ask the question, should we not be generous with the gospel and always be spreading bread upon the waters? And yes, that is a good thing, a good thing to do. But folks, a true messenger must always be faithful to deliver the message to the exact people that his master intends to receive it. And why is that so? That's so because those intended recipients of God's word, they've already been having their hearts prepared to receive it. And that's done by the Holy Spirit, whose special ministry it is to go on out ahead of those messengers and to soften and prepare the hearts of the people. Otherwise, it'll be just like sowing seed on dry and rocky ground. It'll just never take root. As I thought about this, I was reminded of an account given in the Bible study, Experiencing God by Henry Blackaby. In that study, Reverend Blackaby tells of a church planting team who made this a careful study of this particular city where they might determine as a best place to plant a new church. And in finding a particular area that didn't have a church, they decided to establish a church in that area. And they did. But no one came to their church. No one came to their new church. And that church languished and then eventually failed. But after much prayer and consideration about what might have gone wrong in their efforts, they decided a brand new approach. And that was to intentionally look to see where God might be working in that city and to join Him in that work. And when they did that, when they did that, they were successful. They simply allowed God's Holy Spirit to lead them to the people where He had already gone out ahead of them to prepare their hearts to receive the gospel. That's when men and women will truly listen and hear the words and the good news of Christ. That's part of the special understanding of that verse that speaks of the fields being white for harvest. A farmer doesn't try to harvest a crop that's not yet ready for harvest. And neither should a disciple attempt to rush the work of the Holy Spirit within a person's life. You and I need to be sensitive to the Holy Spirit and know where He's leading us and recognize when someone's heart is not really ready to listen to the message of the gospel that we want to give them. These words are a clear and simple instruction and we need to be faithful to it. But I must confess to you that when I consider these next words of the Lord Jesus, the sure judgment that awaits those who reject Him, I want to go out to these people that I have been witnessing to for so long, but their hearts have not been ready. And I want to say to them over and over again in some way, in some manner, try to bring them into the kingdom by any means possible. But I know that's not right. And the Lord is telling me it's not right. I have to go where He is working first. And I know that. But the temptation is for us to do that because we do know that God has another part of his personality and it is justice and he will exercise that justice if they refuse to listen to him. He is holy folks. He is holy and he must always be just 
in all of his dealings with us, which means that he must hold us to account, hold those people to account for every sin, and especially for refusing to believe in him. There truly is and always will be a consequence for every decision that we make for anyone who rejects God's free gift of eternal life. The consequences, as he's telling us here, will be an eternity of punishment in the pit of hell. Folks, unfortunately, in evangelical churches today, preachers don't tell us about hell. They don't tell us about these consequences. But I need to tell you this because it's here in the scriptures and it's here for me to say to you. So I'm going to say it to you today. In these words, God uses a simple word, woe, to describe those eternal consequences. Woe is truly a simple word, but it's a word that describes suffering that's beyond anything that we can imagine. This word woe is an extreme cry of grief, a kind of weeping and wailing, a crying out for relief from suffering and pain and loss, but with no possible consolation or help. It represents a point in time when all mercy and all grace has been exhausted and now only the consequences remain. And they're awful. They are awful. And again, the woes that come from God are eternal. They are eternal. No quick and simple severance of life as some people think or hope. I recall circumstances where people are suffering so terribly from cancer perhaps or some other disease and they die. And I've heard people say about them, at least now they have peace. Maybe so, but maybe not. If they do not have Christ as their Savior, there is no quick and simple severance of life and the pain and suffering gone. For those who don't have Christ as their Savior, the woes of God are eternal. They're relentless and they're never ending. Scripture tells us that very clearly. And why is it so? Why is the penalty for sin eternal, relentless, never-ending? It's because sin of any kind is so truly awful in the sight of God. It's unbearable to the holiness that resides within Him. For God to allow a person who has not had their sins completely wiped away by the blood of Christ to come into heaven would mean that God Himself, listen, would mean that God Himself would have to give up His own holiness. And he can't do that. He can't do that. That's one thing that God cannot do. That's why sin must be kept separate from him. It will never enter in to heaven. To the eternal loss of anyone who rejects Christ, once they've been judged and sent into that pit of hell, there is no further opportunity, no further possibility of redemption. They must remain there in that relentless never-ending suffering and woes, never to get out and never to truly die. And that's why the word woe is used. Those who are suffering a never-ending death in hell will cry continuously with a cry of horrible grief, weeping and wailing, Scripture tells us, crying out for relief from their suffering and loss. But there's no possible relief for them. In Mark chapter 9, Jesus describes hell as being that place where the worm never dies and the fire is never quenched. And as if that weren't enough, God gives us one further warning within these words. 
His words tell us that there will be an even greater degree of suffering for some people than for others. Listen to these words again. Verse 13. Woe to you, Chorazin. Woe to you, Bethsaida. For if the mighty works which were done in you had been done in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago. Sitting in sackcloth and ashes, it will be more tolerable for Tyre and Sidon at the judgment than for you. And you, Capernaum, who are exalted to heaven, will be brought down to Hades. He who hears you, hears me. He who rejects you, rejects me. He who rejects me, rejects him who sent me. Now, who was Chorazin? Who was Bethsaida and Capernaum? Those were cities where Jesus often personally ministered his gospel. But the people in those cities did not turn and receive him. They rejected him. And his warning to them can't be any more simple. And it's this. For anyone who has heard the good news of the salvation of Christ, but has refused to accept it, it'll be more tolerable in that day, judgment day, for Sodom than for them. And you'll recall, Sodom was completely obliterated with fire and ashes and brimstone. So who are those people that he's speaking of for our day? Sadly, folks, it's the ones who have grown up in Christian families, who have often sat in the pews of our churches, and they've heard the precious good news of the gospel, but they've refused to take that next step of receiving the Lord Jesus into their hearts. And the Lord says, Woe be unto them. I can't really fathom how one kind of suffering in hell can be worse than another, but it surely will be for those who have been so close, so close they sat there and listened week after week, but they didn't receive Him. They've come so close, but yet so far away. And that's why you and I must take this warning very seriously that he's giving here in these words. For us, folks, the kingdom of God truly has come near to you and me today. And we dare not reject any part of his gospel. And I'll leave us with this warning that he gave to his disciples. Jesus said, he who rejects you rejects me. And he who rejects me rejects the one who sent me. Let's pray.